Hey everyone, if you're watching this right now, you might already know from this morning that we had an issue with our live stream, and unfortunately it was some failure that I'm not sure what happened, or some device that's not working. Um, so unfortunately none of the service is recorded, and I'm really sorry about that, that you don't get to see that, and we had baptisms this morning, so I, I'm, I'm especially sad that that is not um, recorded, and I'm, again, I'm really sorry if that is something that uh, you wanted to see. Unfortunately, none of it was recorded and it was all lost. Um, but I, you know, with ending this series, I wanted to still put out this sermon for you guys um, who couldn't make it this morning or who are listening online. Sorry again for the tech difficulties and that you don't get to see the baptisms, but I hope you're having a great day and uh, I hope you enjoy the sermon. So this Sunday was the last uh, week for our First Peter series. And um, as you may have known, if you've been watching online, we've done Bible memory every week. And uh, this Sunday, I kind of did a, you know, a mini sermon about Bible memory before we did the Bible memory. So I just wanted to share that with you as well. So here's, here's what happened. Um, you know, this is the last week of First Peter, last week of Bible memory. So as a church, this was just, this is just an area that we want to grow in, that we want to be growing in. The Bible is God's word, and it is so, so important to not just read it, but to actually, actually let it soak in and to fill our minds with it. And what we fill our minds with changes how we live and, and who we are, and God wants to work uh, in you through his word, being in our hearts and in our minds. You know, our, uh, our culture doesn't, doesn't really think uh, this way, you know, since kind of the Enlightenment, Western civilization has just kind of elevated knowledge as just like the most important, right? Like if we, if we know something, then that's all there is to do. If we know right and wrong, or, then we'll always make the right decisions. We just need to be informed. But if anyone's honest with themselves, we know that that's not true. Uh, you know, humans are much more complex much less rational, we're sinful, we're driven by all these different desires. Information is not the most important thing. It's important, but you know, if we, if we know right and wrong, we won't always make the right and wrong decisions. So we need more than information. We need transformation. We need God to transform our, heart, our hearts. Knowledge is good, but it's not enough. And, uh, you know, I can know what a verse says and know the ideas and what it's about, but that doesn't change anything unless God actually changes my heart. And he wants to do that in us through Bible memory. So, you know, it's just a practice that allows time and space for God to shape us. There's a lot of practices like that, and Bible memory is one of them. It's a practice of Jesus, and we want to be doing that as a church uh, and doing that in our own lives. So, um, yeah, we just want to give God space through his word uh, to shape us. Uh, I just want to encourage um, all of you to be practicing Bible memory on your own, whether it's, you know, this verse or other verses or the verses we've done in the last two series, like the Lord's Prayer and Galatians 5, 22 to 26. I encourage you to keep going back to those and making sure that they are in your heart, in your mind. Um, yeah, do this as a family with your kids. Show them just how important God's word is and instill that value in them. And uh, we want to be growing in this as a church. So um, I'm going to read 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5 for you. And you can say it along with me if you've memorized it or you can try and memorize it uh, sometime this week. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Awesome. Um, okay, so let's jump into the message now. This will be uh, a shorter message because we had the baptisms today, um, so I just had a, a short and condensed message to, to give to you. We are in the last chapter of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, so before we read uh, the verses, before I read the verses, just a quick overview of the general context of 1 Peter as maybe a reminder for some of you, or if you're new listening today, uh, then just an explanation of the context of what's happening in 1 Peter. So 1 Peter was written by Peter, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples and one of the key leaders and apostles of the early church uh, after Jesus was raised to life and then returned to heaven. He was originally called Simon, but Jesus renamed him Peter, um, which meant rock in Greek. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18 to Peter, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. So he's giving Peter a new calling and he's prophesying Peter's important role in the early church and the spread of the gospel. So his name is rock in Greek, uh, Petros. And in some of Paul's writing, um, he actually calls Peter Cephas, which is just rock in Aramaic. So like, his name's just Rock um, in different languages. Uh, so that gets confusing. But, you know, if you see Cephas in other letters in the New Testament, that is Peter, who is called Simon. Maybe not the most necessary backstory for this chapter, but sometimes I just want to include things that help us understand Scripture in a, in a wider context. Anyway, Peter, a.k.a. Cephas, the apostle, the apostle formerly known as Simon, was, uh, was writing this letter during the Rome the reign of Nero, one of the worst and most cruel Roman emperors, who, especially in the time he was writing, hated and was persecuting Christians. Peter wrote this letter uh, to the churches in different regions that made up what is now Turkey, which was part of the Roman Empire, um, and it, it was written to, yeah, all the churches all over that region who were experiencing suffering and persecution. That was the main problem that Peter was speaking to. One of the commentaries on 1 Peter wrote this. He said, His central message is clear. You must remain faithful to Jesus Christ in spite of your social condition and its potential dangers by living obediently and in community with one another. This is the call from Peter to the uh, people of this region. So that just gives us a, just a general overview of what is happening and the main ideas that Peter is communicating. So now let's read the verses for, for today, uh, and then we'll go back and park on a few points. So 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time 
Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She, she who is in Babylon, uh, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Okay. So now I'll be mainly talking about the first couple verses. Um, that's where we'll park on mainly, but, and, but we don't have a ton of time to do a deep dive into this passage. Uh, so I just want to encourage you sometime this week, later, or later today, to go back and uh, read first, well, all of 1 Peter, if you haven't, through our series, or specifically 1 Peter chapter 5, the chapter we're looking at. There's so, much, there's so much good teaching in here, and I just believe that God has something for each of us that he wants to say. Um, so I just want to encourage you um, to go back, Read through the, the chapter slowly and just listen and ask God what he wants to say to you and what that might be. So, um, but I'm just going to do like kind of a flyover, some quick bullet points of what's happening in different verses and what we might take away from it. Um, and then I'll just, yeah, I encourage you to give God that space to speak to you later. So uh, for the first four verses, um, you know, if you are in leadership, read those verses and then let God speak to you uh, for, for ways that you can grow in leadership and grow in your example of Jesus. Verses five to seven talk about humility and pride and unity. And uh, humility and unity in our lives and, um, and in the church are not only important, but just absolutely necessary in the church. The commentary I read said that uh, younger people, when Peter says younger people, that just refers to everyone who is under the elder leadership. So it really applies to the whole church. We all need humility, which leads to unity in the church. Peter's not saying also to like submit to leadership no matter what, even if leadership goes off the rails, you know, like, like if, if our church ever starts preaching a different gospel or messed up theology, you should find another church. There's not a calling to stay in a bad church. Um, but again and again in the New Testament, unity is just stressed as of highest importance in the church. And, and the key to that is humility, of course, to, and serving one another and, and loving one another in the church. Pride is just so, so destructive, not only in our, in our personal lives, but especially in the church. So here, Peter, Peter is just saying, you know, humbly submit to your leadership, follow your leadership. Support them. Don't stir up trouble. You know, the church should have unity and, and order, and church is not meant to be preference-driven, but driven by love for Jesus, for the church, and love for the world. So support your leadership. Okay, and then in verse 7, um, it has a unique tie into humility. You know, right after talking about humility, Peter talks about giving your anxiety to God. And, and I wonder how much of our anxiety is, is tied to our pride. You know, it is tied to us trying to control and run our lives instead of learning to trust God. 
you know, humbly and humbly submitting and following what God has for us. Maybe there's something there that God wants to say to you in your, in your time with him as you reflect on these verses in humility and unity. Verses 8 to 9 talk about the devil and our need to be alert and aware of his tactics and attacks. Uh, if you were gone in June uh, or haven't listened to them, please go back and listen to our series on the three enemies of the soul, which are the world, the flesh, and the devil, where we go kind of in, in depth about this idea. And one of the sermons is on the devil, which might sound super weird to us. Um, but I, yeah, I want to, if you're already on the YouTube channel, later, you can go back to June and uh, watch the older sermons, or if you're listening online, you can do that as well. And I just want to encourage you, because it's vitally important for us to be aware of ways that, that the world, that our own flesh, and that the devil are trying to deform us out of the image of God, you know, out, away from the image of Jesus, and we got to learn how to resist that. So, yeah, go back to the month of June and uh, listen to that, or uh, if you want, you can read the, the book it was based on, which is Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And uh, his books are very easy to read while still being great teaching. He's a very skilled writer that way. So you can pick up a copy of that. Verse 10 if just speaks to um, suffering. So if you're going through a time of suffering, of pain, of uncertainty, any of that, uh, just reflect on this verse. You know, a, a verse that promises that suffering will only last a little while which may feel like a long time to us, but in comparison to the future hope of Jesus coming back and uh, creating a new heaven and earth, it's only a little while. So stand firm in the faith and hold on to that hope. And Jesus offers us life to the full now, eternal life now. No matter what our situation is, no matter the suffering or our circumstances, we can still learn that life to the full, that life that is more and more full of peace, of love, and of joy. So verse, verse 13, uh, I just thought to point out because it was interesting. Um, she, who, who, she who is in Babylon refers to the church that was in Rome, actually. Uh, but in the Old Testament, Babylon became the literary archetype for, the, uh, for just the, the controlling empire and the place of just evil. And then in the time of the New Testament, Rome was that place of evil and that controlling empire. So they just apply Babylon to Rome. And uh, verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Obviously, that is cultural, not like a you know, straight command of the Bible. Um, but for our context, the command is, you know, greet one another warmly and with love. For some of us, that is a hug. Uh, for some of us on a normal Sunday, that's a, a nice handshake or a smile and a, a little conversation or something. But greeting each other, welcoming uh, each other is just an important part of, of community. And, and especially, you know, for church on a Sunday morning. So again, I just want to encourage you to read the chapter slowly. Uh, just stop over some of those verses and give God space to speak and just try to listen to uh yeah, what he might want to say to you. And I just believe that that'll be an amazing time if you if you allow that, that space in your life. Okay, so now let's dig in a little bit into one theme. Um, looking at the first verse, we see that Peter is speaking to the elders and the leaders of the churches, right? So, which would have been actually just many house churches spread across these cities and these regions. These verses do more directly apply to, to pastors and church leaders, but... Um, there's no reason why some of those, those teachings and these principles 
can't also apply to a wider audience. Um, you know, many of you are, are leaders in the church, small group leaders, children's ministry, youth ministry, pastor's council, all that, whatever it is, uh, you know, a good chance you have some form of leadership and there's a teaching for you here. But uh, Peter's first line, I think, can be applied to every Christian. Verse 2, he says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Be shepherds of God's flock. I think Peter, um, out, of, out of all the early church leaders and apostles, has a deep awareness of the importance of shepherding the church. He has a distinct calling that was put on him by Jesus. Let's look at uh, John 21 to give a little bit of context to this idea of Peter and, and shepherding. So John 21, uh, John's one of the gospels, one of the four gospels, which are the books about the life of Jesus. And in John 21, we have this beautiful conversation between uh, Peter and, and Jesus. And uh, yeah, let's just read. It's, it's a wonderful conversation that happened after Jesus had, had risen from the dead and was talking to Peter. So John 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And these just meaning, um, you know, other relationships. Do you love me most? He's kind of asking. He said, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Okay, so what's, what's happening here? Why, why is Jesus asking the same thing three times, getting the same answer, and then saying, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs three times? What's with that? Uh, well, one thing that I'm going to go off script a little bit. I was, you know, under a smaller time constraint with baptisms this Sunday morning. But now that I have a couple extra minutes, I want to include this. Um, sorry, you don't get a super short sermon today. Um, so what's actually happening? Because um, I said, what's with Jesus asking, do you love me three times? Well, in the original language, there's a little bit more going on here. Um, as you may have heard, if you've been in, in, in church for a while, uh, in Greek, there's four different words for love that mean um, kind of four different things. Like there's, hell, I'm only going to remember a few. Um, there's, I think it's phileo, or where we get brotherly love, like Philadelphia. That's where it comes from, um, the city of brotherly love. So yeah, phileo is like a friend or a brother that you love them. There is um, agape love, which is like unconditional, the most you can give, like completely selfless uh, love for someone else. Okay, so that's kind of the highest form of God usually applied to, um, the, sorry, I said the highest form of love usually applied to God. And then there's a couple extra that I actually can't really remember. But those two, those two translations of love are happening here. So in English, we just get love. We don't have other words for different types of love. But here, Jesus is actually asking him different things. Here's what happened. Here's what happens. Jesus asks the first time, do you love me? And he's asking, do you 
agape me? Do you love me unconditionally, fully? And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I love you as, as, a, as a friend and as a brother, and of course I love you. But that's not what Jesus asked. So yeah, he asks again, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me more than anything? Are you completely going to give your life for me? And, and Peter, again, says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. I love you as a brother, a friend. And then the third time, I think it just shows how gentle Jesus is, knowing Peter wasn't quite ready to, to say what he wanted, but that he would later down the road. And in the third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? He, he's gentle and he's caring and he's slow. And Peter then responds, yes, I phileo you. Jesus eventually comes down to his level because maybe Peter wasn't ready. Maybe he needed the Holy Spirit sent, which happens after Jesus' resurrection. I don't really know, but Jesus is just so gentle. And I just, I love that little extra stuff that we get added, that's added from the original language that we don't get. Um, and I think this, this is just a beautiful story. And there's a little bit more, there's a little bit more beauty that I talked about in the normal sermon. So let's get into that. Um, so what's with the three times though? Is there a significance there? And I think, yes, there is. If, if you've read uh, the gospels or remember the story of the gospels, Peter was the disciple that denied Jesus three times. On that day, um, on the day Jesus was crucified, Peter denied him three times. Even though not long before, he, was, he said to Jesus, you know, I'll never abandon you. I'll, I'll die for you if I have to. But that's not what happened. Right? While Jesus was being crucified, Peter was, had a little bit of pressure on him and then claimed that he never knew Jesus. He doesn't even know who they're talking about. Three times. He abandoned his friend. And not only his friend, but his teacher and the man he followed for three years and he claimed was the son of God. While he was being crucified, he, he abandoned him and denied him three times. But then Jesus in this conversation is so gentle, so loving, not only with what we just talked about, but also with this. He's coming to Peter and I think he's just restoring him, restoring his calling. Three times asking him, do you love me? Three times affirming his love and three times saying, feed my sheep. Three times healing him from the shame and the guilt from his denials. And with this conversation, he was placing that call on Peter and making it stick. Feed my lambs. Be a shepherd to my people. It's just a, it's a beautiful conversation. And, and I'm sure that that, of course, that would have stuck with Peter. And he would have taken this conversation to heart and had this call on his life to shepherd. And, to, and, and he wanted the churches to do the same. So be shepherds of God's flock. I said earlier, I think this is a call to every Christian. You know, it's definitely a call to leadership, absolutely, to lead through love and care for people, seeing them as God's flock. Not, not a certain person's church, not the lead pastor's flock, but God's. And it is, it is a call to those in leadership, but it's also a call to everyone who is a follower of Jesus. Every disciple of Jesus is called to make disciples. What, what we call the Great Commission is uh, the command of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. 
Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is a call to every disciple. Go and make disciples. So the question for us as followers of Jesus from this chapter in 1 Peter, the question for us is, who are you shepherding? Maybe if you are a new Christian, hey, you can just focus on, on learning and following, but, but this should always be a goal and a call to every Christian to not just be focused on ourselves and our own walk with God, but to shepherd, to make disciples, whether that is, or both, actually, if that's sharing the gospel to people that don't know Jesus and being a light to them, and also um, pouring in and supporting, uh, pouring into the people and supporting them, the people that are Christians, and that are following Jesus, but need a shepherd, need support. We all do. We all need this support and uh, someone walking with us. You know, there are, um, there are new Christians around the church that could use someone to walk through this journey with. There are younger people that don't have a Christian family and could use someone to love and support them and, and be that, that family around them. There are people that do have a Christian family, but still need people to speak into their lives and support them. And this should be a, a community. And I just want to encourage you, especially if you are older and you've been around the church um, for a long time, find someone to mentor. Who are you shepherding? There, there are people around that could use a shepherd. And, and if you're older you, and you've been around the church, also, uh, you need someone. You need to be walking with people. You need someone to speak into your life. You need people that you meet with so that um, you encourage one another to, to love more and to grow in your walk with God. You also need people pouring into your life. You know, as, as a church grows, it needs to look less like a group of people that, that meet up on a Sunday morning, as great as that is, but it needs to look less like that and more like a community where people's lives are actually intertwined and a part of one another's. Be a shepherd. Some of you do that through ministry that we run through the church and you are blessing and, and we, we love you. We thank you for that. But this church and, and every church um, just also needs people who do that in other ways outside of programming. You know, uh, just by asking someone for a coffee or inviting people into your house and growing that real community of a church, of a body of Christ, of shepherding them. That is what the church needs, and that is what Eagle Mott needs. And I'm just going to end with that challenge for you to be a shepherd. Let me pray for us today. Dear Jesus, we thank you that, well, first of all, that you are our shepherd. God, that you are walking with us now, that you are always there to love and to support us. And God, we just pray that that shepherding heart will be instilled in us to give to others. We pray that, that this church, that this community, that, that Eaglemont will be a place that loves each other so much. And may that reflect your love to other people. May that be a witness to who you are and what you've done in our lives. And God, I just pray that, that our community will be built stronger and stronger and that we will feel the call to shepherd, to take care of this body that is yours, this flock. Help us to live out that calling today and help us to draw closer and closer to you every day. Amen.